Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and this is probably our second-to-last, at least for now, Star Wars episode, where Winston and I discuss the polarizing Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. As always, there are spoilers in this one for the entire Star Wars saga, so if you by some chance are listening to this but haven't watched the movies, proceed with caution. Thank you so much to our newest patron, Emily Colliar, and to all of our amazing patrons, including our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, and Caitlin Van Horn, who would all definitely be on the side of the resistance, and to our top-shelf producer, Michael Beck, who can probably astral project just like Luke Skywalker. I am so especially grateful to all of our patrons in this crazy and uncertain time, and if you're feeling crazy generous and would like to join these wonderful people and get access to all sorts of bonus content for as little as $1 a month, head on over to patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. I don't really have anything else in this intro except to say that I hope you are all safe and well. So without further ado, here is episode 68. The Last Jedi. Hello and welcome back to pairing. Welcome back. Welcome back. To that same old part that you left before. It's uh it's just me and Winston here again this time in our probably penultimate Star Wars episode Ooh. about episode eight. It's been such a long journey. It's been crazy and fun. Episode eight, The Last Jedi. Now, I know that you and I, Winston, are both big fans of this movie. Mm-hmm. And that some people are not quite as big fans of this movie for various reasons. Um, yes, not unlike wine. A lot of the worst people have very strong opinions about it. <laughs> well, yes. Yes. There's definitely, you know, the the evil racists who mm. don't like this movie. But there are some people whose opinions I respect who I don't think are racist, who don't love this movie. And I do think that some of their criticisms are valid. So I will try to play devil's advocate a little bit so it's, this conversation isn't just us being like, we love the movie. It's great. Okay, I'll allow it. End of discussion. Um, (laughs) What a great podcast! (laughs) What a great podcast! (laughs) But yeah, so I wanted to. I I was thinking back to the first time we saw this movie. I remember we saw it in theaters, probably Mm -hmm. opening night or shortly thereafter. And I remember my first impression of the movie was that I, I didn't love it as much as I do now at first. I think, and I think that's because this movie is very different from from most of the other episodic films in in the Star Wars canon, um, and it challenges its fans and audience much more than any of the other films, and it does some weird things and makes some unusual choices, and um, and personally, and so I think I left it not loving it as much as I do now because it was it wasn't quite what I expected. 
Mm. Um, but over time, every time I watch this movie, I love it more and more and more and think, and there's more in there I discover every time. And I think it's probably my second favorite after Empire. I really like it a lot. It's very subversive. Yeah. Um, of It's subversive of the entire Star Wars like mythos mm-hmm. in terms of who's good and who's bad. And, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people quibble with it because they're like, oh, well, you know, you had the ambition to do a thing, but you screwed it up. And I'm like, you're a screenwriter. And they're like, yeah. yes, I am. I'm like, yeah. well, you didn't write on the Star Wars movie. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I'm like, that accounts for all of your opinion. I... All of you. Every single one of you. Sarah, Rafa, all of you. I'm calling you out by name. You're all wrong. Your subjective opinion is wrong. Your expertise is meaningless. You're just mad you didn't write Star Wars. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm. I still love you. <laughs> um, so that's Winston's opinion. <laughs> I will now not justify that at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have to. You're a white man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take that. Um, Everyone. No. Uh, so I do think. I do think that there is an argument to be made. Well, what I will say is my opinion of what is weakest about this movie is not actually about this movie. It's about episode nine because there are things in episode eight that don't ever come to fruition but that's not necessarily the fault of this movie yeah that's 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 jj abrams being a chicken shit yeah and really overcorrecting really overcorrecting which it's like okay maybe we didn't get the formula exactly right right it it sort of had the opportunity to take everything in a new and exciting direction yeah and for Rise of Sky, I mean, we'll save it for that episode, yeah. but they kind of were like, okay, let's pretend that second movie didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's and very much what it felt like. So. And, and so I do think that there is some validity to the criticism that, uh, because I think Chad was saying this, Chad, who, Chad, Chad Ellis, who was our guest on um, the Force Awakens episode, mm. and they had many, many great, wonderful thoughts about episodes seven, eight, and nine, and the whole series as a whole. And I think, and I might be misquoting them or paraphrasing in a way that's not correct, so we'll have to go back and listen to that episode. But but basically what they were saying was that my, or at least my impression was that this movie has some of the strongest moments in all of in all of Star Wars, hmm. but that the film as a whole is not quite as cohesive as some of the other ones. I think that that is potentially a valid criticism. Yeah, I would say that. Um, I think you you I think there's an argument to be made that it's a little tonally inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Like it starts out very very grim, and then it it kind of goes kind of silly goes off on its Marxist and, thing. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So the like the the whole like the cruel tutelage of Luke Skywalker thing right, where they have right. to make him a crabby guy and everyone has an opinion on how that should have been written i think right. i think that part is actually great Luke's story, Luke's yeah. part of, of the movie, I think, is perfect. Yeah. But a lot of people hated what they did with Luke. Right, and a so. lot of people hate the um, Canto Bite. A lot yes, of people hate Canto, the Canto Bite yeah, sequence. Canto bite. We'll get into that for yeah. sure. Um, um, I did want to start off with a couple of wine pairings. Please if do. That's, if that's cool. Yeah. Because I had a couple of thoughts for this one. Um, the first thought being, be- just because as I was saying, like this is one of the few movies that I didn't initially 
love. Like, I didn't not like it when we saw it, but I didn't love it. And now I love it. Mm. And I and so I was thinking about that. I was like, that's unusual. That doesn't happen to me a lot with things um, generally, but with movies. But I was thinking about, okay, so what's a wine that initially I, like, didn't care for or kind of nothinged and, and that now I love. And that um, that wine, the first one that came to mind for me is Dolcetto, which is an Italian red wine. Hmm. It's, um, it's, I'm going to talk mostly about Italian wines for this uh, episode. I don't know why, but. Sounds good. You know, for the, it was what came to mind and then I ran with it. So Dolcetto is one of the grapes coming from Piedmont. So Piedmont is where Barolo and Barbaresco are. That's where Nebbiolo is king, so Got to it. speak. Uh, quote unquote. But the like more everyday drinkable table wines are Dolcetto's and Barbera's. Hmm. And I've always liked Barbera's, but I, I don't know if it was just the Dolcetto's that I tried when I was first getting into wine. I was just like, these don't do anything for me. Okay. Um, and it wasn't like it wasn't like I hate them. You're I was just, just like, like eh. I was just sort of like, eh, like this is not something I would ever choose to drink. Right. While now I have tried many Dolcetto's that I love, and it's actually one of my favorite just go to red wines um is there like a consistent kind of flavor profile that they have yeah it's pretty uh so generally it's like sort of dark red fruit um i think what's a little inconsistent um they're usually not too high in tannin okay so it doesn't kind of have that lip smacking quality that a tempranillo might have or or a nebbiolo because nebbiolos are really really high in tannin and tannin is actually technically what dries out your mouth um, and, uh, acidity is what makes your mouth water. So they're, they're kind of always in play together. Got it. But. Like the dark and light side of the force. Exactly. Exactly. It's I'll a new plan that. Didn't even plan it. Um, but Dolcetto, it's funny because I think Dolcetto literally means little sweet. Little sweet. Little sweet yeah. one. Um, but it's not sweet. It's very dry. But, the, you know, like, like many wines, um, they vary in quality and, you know, can vary in flavor profile a little bit. Um, but but the good ones that I have had are dark-fruited, just enough tannin to them, well-balanced with acidity. They're perfect pizza wines, pasta wines, just kind of like every night drinking wines. And a couple of the producers I wanted to recommend uh, that are, like, good fairly inexpensive dolcettos are Giacomo Grimaldi. That was the first one I had, I think, that I was like, oh my God, this is really good. I really like this. Also, it sounds like um, like the captain of an Italian mercenary yeah, I know. from the Middle Ages. Yes, Giacomo, Captain Giacomo Grimaldi. Giacomo Grimaldi at your service. Yes, yes. And then there's uh, Domenico Clerico makes a good dolcetto. The great thing about dolcetto is that it's not terribly expensive. So it's a it's a nice way to get uh, some some good Italian. If you're craving some Italian red wine, Dolcettos are good um, good choices. If you don't want to break the bank, um, there's also Vietti and Vira and um, Elio Altare. Those are some of my favorite Dolcettos. Um, but riffing off of that real quick, I was like, okay, so my experience with the Last Jedi is very much like my experience with Dolcetto. But I think that The Last Jedi as a movie is much more like a Nebbiolo because Nebbiolos are so complex 
and mm. they they're they're known they're supposed to you're supposed to let them breathe because they are constantly changing and i feel like every time i watch this movie there's a new layer to it there's a there's something new that I didn't notice or didn't make a connection with before. So I think overall Nebbiolo is a better pairing for the movie, but Dolcetto is a good one for me. But yeah, so so we were we, we were mentioning, you know, some tonal shifts um, and how but and how it starts out so bleak because I mean, I think that's the main thing that carries through at least the like fleet part of the story yeah. is which the, that's my favorite part is it's, the it, beginning yeah. with the bombers yeah and it's like it's it has that sort of rogue one ish tone it does it um, does but it's like the beginning of last jedi is like the end of rogue one yeah and like the sacrifice that, is immense yeah there's that funny part where Poe is talking to um, Donald Gleason. To Hux, yeah. To Hux. But, yeah, and, yeah but, <laughs> very funny. But then it's just like, and it's sort of like Empire that way. It's like it starts yeah. out with like a little little fun fun banter and then just like everything goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. And um, everyone dies. Yeah. And <laughs> or... so I, th- I think that's probably what a, a lot of people don't like is that as they go out for the Canto Bite part and mm-hmm. they, they sort of, they try to make it a little bit lighthearted for a second, or they try to make it more like yeah. adventure-y, but then, um, but then they're also trying to tell you, a, you know, about war profiteering. Right, right. Um, well, it, what Canto Bite does, and we're jumping around a little okay. bit, but I think that no, I think that's fine. Um, but what I I think what I get out of the Canto Bite sequence is it's unveiling or revealing a whole different layer of corruption in the universe, right? That we haven't really seen before. Yeah. Um, and, and Rose Tico kind of represents this kind of working class, um, or lower middle class, maybe that we don't get to see a lot of in Star Wars. Like there's Ray and I guess like Luke is technically sort of part of that that class but he be- so quickly becomes yeah but he's magic yeah he so quickly becomes magic and yeah. um and but- and ray is you know she has a hard life but but she's completely isolated and yeah. she's living a very different existence but rose is like someone who grew up in society right uh you know a disenfranchised person and um and i love her character i i and what people have done to Kelly Marie Tran is just it's absolutely despicable. Um so so yeah, I wanted to wanted to say that. Um but but yeah, so so that's my feeling. Maybe and maybe why I didn't love the movie at first is because at first first glance, first watching it, it does feel a little like what am I? What's the word I'm thinking Helter of? Helter skelter. Helter skelter, maybe. <laughs> um, also, one thing that I will never forgive the series slash mostly episode nine for is that Benicio del Toro's character just never comes back. And, and Rose is practically written out. Of Rose, too. yeah. Well, we'll get to that yeah. in episode nine um, because. There's plenty to be angry about in episode nine. Yeah, but it's nice. I think that. You get to spend a lot of time with, you know, the regular people. Yeah. You know, and the Canto Bite, I can see how the transition from the fleet to that and, and kind of back again yeah. for the big big battle strikes some people as off-putting. But I think it's, I don't know, I like that they were like, A, you're losing. 
-hmm. and B, you're not necessarily the good guys. Right. And that's so much of Star Wars is like winning against incredible odds and very sharp and clear divide between the good and the evil people. Right. You know, the bad guys helpfully dress like fascists. Yes, yes. It's so so convenient. Dress like Nazis. Yeah. Um, And I, I like that spirit and I think that I think it, it, it really has to do, I think a lot of it has to do with like the co- the color palette mm-hmm. and how, how, it, how it's so different from the rest of the movie. And, you know, they try to make Canto bite into its own kind of like cantina yeah. at, at Mos Eisley, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, for rich Yeah, it's, basi- it's basically Star Wars casino, you know, it's yeah. like Las Vegas or right, something. Right, yeah. And, and, and so I, I get that, but I don't. I don't think what they're trying to do with Benicio del Toro's character is is wrong, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I like I like the choices they make yeah. with him. I like I like the sort of again moral ambiguity and the the message right. that he presents. But it's just like he presents it and then pieces out. And I guess yeah. that's okay. I guess that's okay yeah. that we're like okay, we don't know what happened yeah. to this. Well, dude. we expected to see him again. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's but, Benicio del Toro. But yeah, but. <laughs> I love about the movie that it kind of says, you know, even if the rebellion's right. Or the, mm-hmm. the resistance is right. right. Not everyone wants a part of that. Because right. at this point, it's what, three generations of war that yeah. we're talking about? Yeah. And there are people who are like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you, yeah. He says something like that at one point where Benicio says, you know, you, you get them today, they get you tomorrow. Yeah, or yeah. they get you today, you know. Yeah. And his weird yeah. little stutter. Like, I think people didn't like that. Yeah, I mean, I think... I liked it because I, I thought it was it too, a, a bold because, character. Yeah, well, it was clearly Benicio Del Toro being like, all right, I'm going to make a big choice, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm Benicio Del Toro, so right. probably nobody's going to tell me not but to. But yeah, and, and like um, his character, I guess, in fairness, just kind of exists to be like, I'm teaching you a lesson. Right. Um, ha- but but the, the lesson that he's teaching is, I mean, if you could equate it to anybody, it's maybe Lando in, mm-hmm. in Empire, yeah. um, sort of a similar kind of... You know, he's not totally bad, but he's not totally good yet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, you basically still like him. But it did feel a little bit more like Benicio Del Toro was there to kind of just, like, preach a moral. Right. Rather than super serve the plot. Right. Um, which... Which I think that's that's a valid criticism. I yeah. still enjoy him and his part and his character. And I do think that with the new ones, they they introduce a lot of new characters yes. in each film. Yes. And so the fact that we have these characters who appear in one of the movies and don't die and aren't resolved and go yeah. away, like, that's a good overarching criticism mm-hmm. of the inconsistency between the three films. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's like, okay, well, now we're going to meet Rose and now we're going to meet Benicio Del Toro and now yeah. we're going to kill the bad guy from the other movie. And uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, um, so I think that... That was part of it. I think that's part of it, and I and I do think that that's in this movie a little bit. It's much more in yeah. uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, where you're like, who the fuck are you? Where you're like, <laughs> why is Carrie Russell in this movie? <laughs> like, love you, Carrie, but you really don't need to be her. Or Dominic Monaghan. Give me more Rose Tico. Yeah. I love you, Dominic Monaghan. You are one of my favorite people, but you didn't have to be in this movie. Hmm. That Also, one thought that I did have about this movie um, is that I do think it's the one 
even including Rise of Skywalker, that has the most different storylines happening simultaneously. Yeah. And so, so you know, you've got uh, the fleet. So, right. so Poe and Leia, and then Holdo. Also, we get Laura Dern. We get. I Holdo. do love Holdo. I love I think her. She's great. She's also when I first saw the movie. Didn't I did not love her and oh. I did not love her character. She's my and, she's one of and my now, favorite parts. And now I lo- I love her. Yeah. So it that's another one that I did a one eighty on. But um but so there's their storyline. There's Ray and Luke and then Ray and Kylo mm-hmm. and Kylo kind of has his own thing going on as well. Um and then there's Finn and Rose and so. That's 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 a lot. That's a lot of yeah. different storylines to be keeping yeah. keeping engaging and connected all at once. Yeah. And I mean in Empire it really is it's the two. Yeah. It's like Luke Luke's story and yeah. then Leia and Han and everybody else. Yeah. And this is like we can do four. Right. <laughs> and, and so right. it's a very ambitious thing. It is to ambitious do. and I I personally think it works, yeah. but I could see how for yeah. other people that might be too much and well, and, and could, maybe feel yeah. a little too disparate or like jammed jammed in like I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard yeah. from some people like well if you want to do this canto bite thing you need like half the movie to take place there mm-hmm. it's just like it's show we show up we meet the dude we run away on horses yeah. and then it's gone you know yeah and it's sort of like I kill your that, darlings, I guess. You know, yeah, and thing. I do, I do feel that a little bit with it's like in Rise of Skywalker when they meet the other ex stormtroopers. Oh I'm like, yeah, this is really interesting. But like, I like yeah, there's so much going on in this movie. Like, I want more of their story, but it's it's yeah. almost like. Between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, they should have been three movies instead of two movies. Yeah, or um, you know, or make it like a Star Wars saga about the ex stormtroopers. Sure, you know? sure. I think I think all of that. Um, I think all of that is true mm-hmm. and fair. And here's why none of it matters. <laughs> 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 it's. I think. The best looking Star Wars movie. Absolutely. In terms of the way everything, like just again, the color palette, like that, the red sand yeah, on that yeah, glass that salt planet or whatever. Yeah, salty planet. And that's amazing. I was going to say that, I mean, that whole sequence, but specifically Luke's part in that sequence is my favorite yeah. scene in all of Star Wars. Oh, but I also really love the uh, the Rose Tico and Finn. Yeah, the, yeah, like, no, I love that too. The aborted too. kamikaze charge. Yeah. Like, that's another great thing Star Wars yeah. is like, no, sometimes you shouldn't play hero. Yeah. You should run away or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And um, I, I think that whole conflict with uh, Poe and Holdo is kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a mimetic double of, of the relationship Whoa. in a way. Whoa. Um, yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, with Poe, we're we're really getting to know him in a deeper way for the first time in this movie because right. he's hardly in the Force Awakens. We get him at the very beginning and at the end, and at the end but we don't get much like big character stuff yeah. with him. We know that he's in love with Finn, but that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I will I will not not mention that 
in every episode if I can. <laughs> um, the 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 Finn Poe ship. I also think the throne rune battle is oh the throne is top room top three lightsaber totally. battles easily totally. And I don't actually think there's any room left for the battles in the original trilogy on my list anymore. Really, it's yeah. uh, it's it's I I I'm always going back and forth in the order, but it's mm-hmm. it's Mustafar duel of the fates, which is my my real favorite, yeah. and then the throne room scene, and then after that mm-hmm. at fourth. Is uh, the storytelling lightsaber battle of uh, the Last Jedi, or not Last Jedi? Excuse me, the Return, Return of, of the Jedi. Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I think that the lightsaber battles are more storytelling mechanisms in the original trilogy, and that's fantastic. But yeah. uh, I would like to point out that it's space wizards fighting with laser swords. Yeah. <laughs> so the cooler it looks. This is, a, this is a theme that we, we come back to, I feel like, in these episodes, is that people are so invested and love these stories so much. But at the end of the day, it's a fun space opera. Yeah. And it has a lot to say about yeah. humanity and the world and this, that, and the other thing. But at a certain point, you got to just take a step back and remember what we're talking about. Yeah. And see, I think... This movie is the most spiritually mature, I think, I think of so. all of them, and the I most spiritually so. challenging because yes. it really gets away from that kind of Manichaean, you know, or whatever it is, the good versus evil yeah. duality thing. Yeah. And um, I do think the throne room scene, in addition to being a really cool fight scene, is a pretty good storytelling tool. Totally, totally. That's, that's one thing I think that the the newest trilogy mm-hmm. really improves on over the not the original but uh the prequel trilogy yeah because i think duel of the fates does tell a story yeah i think but that yeah, the rest the of the lightsaber the battles are just kind of are... like look it's cool yeah yeah actually the mustafar one does too i take it back they're all great yeah <laughs> <laughs> i want to watch that right now oh man also all right. there's episode a, over there's a youtube um that i i've had at one point but i lost since lost where it was like 50 different songs yeah, yeah. that the throne room fight yeah. scene was cut to mm-hmm. and it's just the most enjoyable it's so, thing. It's so like, funny. If it, if it gave us nothing else, it gave us that fight scene to the chain by yep. Fleetwood Mac. Yep, it's true. It's true. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, and of course, I think also it's just a lot of it floats on the talent of the cast. Definitely. You know, Definitely. I, I really, I don't think there's a single like cringy acting moment mm-hmm. in the way that in the prequel, you'd be like, oh, Hayden. Buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Over- I don't think it's all your fault, but, but oh. Overall, <laughs> overall, the acting in this newest trilogy, I think, is the strongest. Yeah. of, And then they include the original. I mean, I love the original, but Mark Hamill has, you know, yeah. I mean, he has, he, he has grown as yeah. an actor. He's had three decades of acting yeah, experience. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, he does a crackerjack job. Oh in this yeah. Movie. He's so great. He's, I, I really, I really love, um, Luke's, the, the choice they made for Luke, but, I, but it's hard. It's hard to watch when you grow up loving this story yeah. as a kid. Right. It's then hard to watch Luke be imperfect and, uh, yeah. And make a lot of bad decisions, yeah. and and I think that's another complaint is people think that he like the writers the writers did not earn mm-hmm. Luke's character arc, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like I'm I'm skeptical of that argument. I'm skeptical of that argument too because um, the whole thrust of the movie is that 
like returning to the old comforting thing, like we all just did in Force Awakens a year or two before that, yeah. is wrong. Mm. It's A, impossible, and B, not even like morally right to try to do so. And you have to forge into scary, unknown territory yeah. if you're going to grow yeah. as a person. You have to sort of break the cycle, break the wheel, yeah. whatever whatever metaphor you want to use. Yeah. But it, and I think that Luke, Luke's, you know, curmudgeonly old um, hermit as opposed to Yoda's kind of kooky, right. you know, chuckling hermit with moments of seriousness. Well, he's, he's you know, he's got that cruel tutelage of Paime thing. Right. Except, yes. except he's remorseful. Whereas yes. Paime was just a bastard. Yeah. But it has that kind of, it, it reminds me a lot actually of, you know, a trope of uh, some like, Asian stories mm-hmm. um, more than a Western story because there's it is a trope yeah. with um, like monks and mm-hmm. also with uh, martial arts stories and mm-hmm. warrior stories that the the sensei is gonna like refuse to teach you mm-hmm. because you're unworthy yeah a certain number of times yeah. and you have to like show through sacrifice and dedication yeah. that you're worthy of this knowledge and. And that's something that is, you know, a lot of Zen Buddhist stories right. have that. And a lot of these, like I said, these old martial arts movies yeah. and martial arts stories are about, you know, you having to deal with real commitment. Yeah. And um, you don't, we don't get any of that in in Empire Strikes Back. You know, no. You, it's, it's mostly about Luke being, you know, brash and Yoda being kind of amused he's i guess that he does that you're he's too old or something like that yeah but i think there's a little bit of that with yoda but it's not not quite not quite as extreme as in as in this one yeah they don't lean into it as hard yeah um but so i i like that and i i think you know a lot of this stuff happens you know off camera like uh, yeah the and i think that they explain it well enough well, um, I have a few. I have a few more little wine pairings mm. to do, which maybe maybe this is a good moment to do those. So we we're actually drinking an Italian white wine right mm. now, and I was thinking um, that um, I was sticking with Italian wines for some reason. That um, Italian white wine is a really good one for uh, rose because mm. um, because Italian white wine is so great and such a, so underappreciated and undervalued in in like the wine world and just like not what people like people usually think of it as like just pinot grigio but there's so much more um and so this is this is a blend i think i think it's also coming from piedmont um, i'm not 100% sure what the grapes are in it but it's probably got some arnaise in it, um, which is a great grape. Um, but something like that or a falangina, which is one of our favorites. Yeah. Um, like something that's really, really smooth but has really sharp acidity to it like, and is, is a complex wine right. that people don't think about. But it's easy to engage with. Yes. Um, so I think that's a good one for rose. For for Poe in this one, I was like, I think Poe's got to be Sangiovese in this one because he's he's all blood of Jupiter. He's all very hot headed. Very hot headed. Um, we're getting. Um, I gave him Tempranillo in the last one. Otherwise, oh, yeah. I would have given him Tempranillo again in this one. Um, as everybody knows, Tempranillo Winston's favorite grape. It's true. But and Sangiovese is mine. So, but I think I think that's a good one. 
for Poe because he's very saucy. Saucy. Thank you. <laughs> he does get a lot of people killed. He sure does. He sure does. Yeah, the Poe's Poe story and relationship with Leia and Holdo is really, really interesting in this one, I feel like. And that's another thing that just kind of gets taken away a little bit in Rise of yeah, Skywalker. Yeah, they don't have room for it. The the complexity of of Poe as a leader. Right. They sort of just forget about it and like, no, you're great. Like, <laughs> you just lead, do it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> while, while in this one, they're like, you have to be careful. You have to be really careful. Um, and also women should probably lead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a hard time. I wasn't sure what grape specifically to come up with for Ray in this one. But I feel like she's she's an unfined and unfiltered wine. Mm. You know, so there's like a there's a process called fining and filtration um, that basically just makes the wine cleaner. Um safer, more consistent. Mm. But there are wines that are unfined and unfiltered, and it's a risk because uh, there's more likelihood of something going wrong with the wine if you don't go through those processes. But it can yield, like, a really great, quote-unquote, natural, raw wine. And I feel like that's a good one for Ray in this because she's kind of, she's, she's, I mean, she's kind of all raw power. And that's another interesting thing in this that I wanted to talk about a little bit. And we talked about a little bit um, with Chad in the Force Awakens episode, but Ray's relationship to the Force is very different from Luke's relationship to the Force in the early in the in the original trilogy. Um, How so? Well, I think she's she's kind of just got a little bit more raw power Mm -hmm. um and while luke immediately is kind of like training and honing and he's got a little bit yeah sure of the impetuousness but i feel like ray's got this immense uh immense power that's like waiting within her and there's that whole sequence of you know oh you went right to the dark side right which is supposed to be i know it's supposed to be a foreshadowing of the fact that she's the emperor's granddaughter or whatever i don't know i don't know but i thought it was that's another thing that i loved in this movie and hated in uh rise of skywalker the idea that ray that you have to be part of a of a special magic family it's very it's very death eater it is it is yeah yeah and so it was like why can't she why can't she just be somebody some random person who has this immense power with the right. force. So yeah, I, I like that, and I do think yeah, she's more of a a live wire. I yes. guess you could say. Yes. Um, and she is always kind of in search of a family. Mm-hmm. In the way that you know Luke is orphaned in the movie, but but he kind of immediately then it has a family around right. him. And so she she's always kind of looking for that. Yeah. And. And craving, and also craving specifically parental figures, but specifically right. father figures yeah. with Han in the first movie and Luke and in this Luke, one. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think for me, for Ray, I would just go back to the Asian tropes and say like a, mm-hmm. like a Daiginjo sake. Yeah, actually, sake, sake is good. Or like a, yeah, like a Nigori sake, maybe. That's a little ones. unfiltered. Yeah. Though that's a little too sweet, yeah. I think. Those can be yeah. too sweet. But yeah, like a Daiginjo, 
or or ooh no a namasake because those are the unpasteurized ones. Oh yeah, like the wind in the woods that we yeah. really like. That's a good one for for Ray, I think. Um, and then conversely, I think Kylo. Since I'm sort of sticking with this Italian theme for some reason, I think Kylo is a super Tuscan mm. um, because he's very heavy-handed, but has the capacity for greatness. Um, so super Tuscans are wines from Italy that are made with French grapes. So they're usually um, made from Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Syrah, Cabernet Franc, um, something like that. So they're typically heavier and more tannic than um, than most other Italian red wines. Because most other Italian red wines, they can have weight and tannin to them but they they're usually a little brighter and have like more acidity to them mm. and the super tuscans are a little bit heavier and so i i feel like that's one that's a good one for kylo because he's always trying just a little too hard <laughs> yeah he's, def- he's definitely compensating for a lot it's not that he doesn't have power it's not that yeah. he you know is incompetent it's just that he's well, overcompensating was it is a is it a blend it's usually a blend. So, it's not always yeah, a blend. Yeah, because he's but... got the struggle yes. within him yeah. is, you know, I, I like it because it's it's so much more apparent in both Force Awakens and in this movie that he is, like, really conflicted mm-hmm. in a way that Darth Vader, they don't even bother to try yeah. until... And that's kind of the beauty of Darth Vader. Year, is, of yeah. It's a testament to the, to how yeah. how well Vader is written yeah. and and portrayed that like yeah. he can make that switch in the last movie and yeah. you're like I buy it. Well, and it's a, it's a cool <laughs> contrast I think with with Darth Vader because whereas Darth Vader and Luke have this very calm conversation, yeah. he's like I feel the good in you. Yeah. It's too late for me, son. Yeah, 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 yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> but in this, it's like Kylo Ren being like, "You're nobody." Yeah, yeah. He's like freaking out like Will Ferrell at the end yeah. of Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> I invented the piano key nectar. You know, he made this mask. I made them my own mask. <laughs> yeah. And Ray's, Ray's like, I don't think so. Um, yeah. And I, I also want you like. to point every gun at that man. Yeah, yeah. He's just, he's so I mad all the time. Him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I like that Ray ends up. Uh, saving them at the end of the movie, yeah, because she she is somebody who's actually spiritually balanced, yes, and I think that's really cool. And I I I think far from it being a Mary Sue quality, it's again it, it's yeah. it's in it's consistent with the theme of the movie that like there are just regular people who nonetheless have like really advanced and mature ways of perceiving the world. Yeah. You don't have to, I mean, she is super magic and totally just as Mary Sue as Luke and Wesley from the princess bride and every other Mary yeah. Sue out there. But I, there's nothing new I, about that or bad. I don't, I don't love calling her a Mary Sue. I just don't think it's I, well, useful. I think it's a and, sexist kind of term. Yeah. It feels kind of sexist but, and it, and it, and it doesn't feel, it, it feels yeah. like it simplifies her character. Yeah. Cause I really do think she's got more yeah. going on. Well, I that. also, I also think that the, the concept of the Mary Sue mm-hmm. is, is a little silly. Like, why don't we talk about the concept of the Mary Sue? Would you mind explaining? Sure. It? So the Mary Sue, I if and feel free to correct me, mm-hmm. anybody, everybody. 
Um, but as far as I understand it, the concept of the Mary Sue comes from fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the Mary Sue context is supposed to be like a Star Trek mm-hmm. fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And the, the fan writes themselves into it right. as a character who ends up like always saving Kirk or always giving Spock that answer to the thing he right. needs. Or right. same thing with, you know, right. Data. Like she's as smart as Data and as brave as Riker and as right. wise as Picard. Basically, it's a... it's. A character who's not interesting because they know how to do everything. Because they're everything. kind of perfect, no conflict. Yeah. And I don't think that that's fairly applied to Ray because I think Ray does a great... You know what Ray actually does a great job of, I think, more than um, you know, young Mark Hamill and uh-huh. Luke, is you really feel like Ray is a refugee. Yeah. You know, I, I know that happens to Luke, but you really feel from the minute of the first film of that trilogy and definitely all of this, she's like... She's from like war torn post apocalyptic yeah. Star Wars universe, yeah. and so her search for family is, I think, really spiritually profound because in a you know aren't we all man? Yeah. Um, and she's not con- she's like she's not content at any point in the movie. You know she's no I she's I heard constantly it. striving for like more spiritual growth she's trying yeah. to figure out the bigger picture because to her the dark side and the light side it's kind of unsatisfying yeah at least and you know maybe maybe i'm just projecting but that's kind of that's what i get from her whole thing with luke is that she's trying to figure out more than yeah that. and luke is like oh no it's the dark side like you can't yeah. look at it but she's willing to look it in the face yeah in a way that he wasn't able to do for kylo right so because he was so afraid of the dark side coming back he kind of stumbles into it by trying to kill Kylo. Yeah. And that sets off this whole cascade of events. But then Ray is trying to, you know, look into the abyss. Yeah. And and deal with it in a more consistent way than Luke is. They really just have that, you know, the scene where he has to fight himself. Yes. And it's actually himself. And it's right. like, thank you, movie. I got it. Right. I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a little heavy handed. Yeah. And I mean, they, there's a sort of similar thing when Ray has that, what is it? The like, the, the reflection, mirror. the mirror yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah. And that and was one, that was but one. I like that a lot. Well, so again, that was another thing that when I first saw it, I did not you, like it. You were it. like, thank you for beating like, me over the head Yeah. With that. I was like, okay, Ryan Johnson. I, I get it. You're a, yeah. you're a creative art artist. But, um, but I did think it was a cooler way to do it. Like with the snaps and everything. Yeah. Coming, you know, I just thought it, this film, I think uses visual storytelling. Yes. In a, in a really great way. And that's, that's yeah. part of why I like it. I think it, it and a more unusual and creative yeah. way than most of the other. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, the Star Wars originally was incredibly creative yeah. and new and right. novel when it came out. Now it's sort of all in our, you know, yeah. visual lexicon. And um, and and I think this was the first movie that really did. Maybe I mean, first episodic movie because I think Rogue One did. Did a lot yeah. of that too, but I think but. I think all the iconic moments from this film, mm-hmm. they don't have dialogue. Yeah, there's no speaking in the in. What do you remember from this film? You remember, or if you're me, yeah. you remember Rose's sister in the bomber. Yep. No dialogue there. Yep. And but it tells like this amazing Ugh, like that's you brilliant. I, you're 
it's heartbreaking to watch that character who we never see speak or do anything else Mm -mm. die. And like her whole arc is complete in like 30 seconds. Yeah. And it's incredible storytelling. And then you have, of course, the Luke uh, shoulder brush. The shoulder brush. Shoulder brush. And then the burning X-wing tree. Uh-huh, with Yoda, uh-huh, with Yoda, uh-huh, yep. you know. So like, those are the the big images. That and then when Holdo turns the fucking Mon Calamari oh, cruiser yep, yep. around, that's a and big one. Kamikazes yep. it into that the thing. Was, I love it, and it's silent too. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one time Star Trek does or Star, Star Wars. Wars does silent space. Yeah, and it's so fucking. It's good. so good. It's and so powerful. So it just really is is good at telling that. That yeah. kind of quiets, and you see Luke's little daily routine. Yep, yep. His little hermit That's another routine. thing that that people hated was him milking the 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 um you know weird creatures. Oh, there. I didn't realize you didn't like weird puppets in yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Lunatics, <laughs> you sociopaths, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you. Well, no, but baby, they're 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 breasts. Yeah. They look like breasts. That's not okay. We can't see that. In a Star Wars film, anyway, I'm being uh, I'm not know. sure if you can we, read we, my tone. We but... <laughs> see a whole lot of, of stuff in the Jabba's palace scene that That's I would true. that That's I would true. argue is a lot more inappropriate than Luke totally. milking something. Totally, it's just first like... of all, have you seen a cow's udder? It looks weird, pretty weird. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's like a funny it's a funny visual joke, right? And but, um, I mean, that some all... people were really offended by it. See, I think that's those are bad faith arguments. To me. Oh, to me too. Because yeah. that is just f- trying to find something like, I'm sorry, there's funny puppets in every single Star Wars movie. Yeah. Maybe there weren't enough in the prequel trilogy because it was all CGI. Yeah. But like, you know, Salacious Crumb in Jabba's Palace mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, like they, they all look ridiculous, but they're super fun and... It's it's part of the texture of the world yeah. that it is occasionally silly. Yes. You know, and, and that's one of the only things, that, one of the main distinguishing things I think that makes the Star Wars trilogy work when it works is they have an ability to kind of blend the really heavy and the, and the humorous in a way that, like, say your Buffy the Vampire Slayer does. Right. You know? Yes. It, it will it will occasionally hit that perfect sweet spot. Yes. Where you can really be carried away by the emotion, but, like, it's still funny. Yes. You know? And then I think, you know, the fair criticism of the movie is that maybe by trying to take on too much, it doesn't, it can't hit that sweet spot because I think it's, it... there's a little too much thrown at you, and maybe it's, it's, I do think that it it's funny in the right places. Yeah. But then I think... You know. No, I, I I I appreciate what you're saying, and I do think, I, I think I agree because I think the humor is much more sparse in this one as it should be, and so maybe the fact that when it shows up, it feels disconnected just because it is a little bit. It's probably has to do with how widely everything is dispersed. Maybe, I think, yeah. I, th- I think I I do think it's a valid criticism. As, uh, as we keep coming around to... That's the one I surprised with the most. That it's trying to do a little too much. Yeah. And I think it's very successful at a couple of things. Like, very, very successful yeah. at a couple of things. almost And, like, pretty successful at another couple of things. And then maybe fails or it just is not... Doesn't quite hit the mark I also on another couple of things. I just so. really love the whole you're, you're a nobody from nowhere thing. I love that's that. That's such a I great choice. I love that. It would have been so... So good if they had followed it through. Yeah. 
And then you've got a like awesome. You can still, you can still bring the emperor back in sure. in episode nine. That's fine. That's fun. But it doesn't have to be like. Yeah. Why is it so incestuous? Why is everybody right. related to each other? Yeah. Um, no, I I much prefer the idea of like a new person striking down the old dynasties. Yeah. That's real cool. Yes, I really liked that too, and was really super bummed when that got just yeah. totally thrown away. Um, yeah. I honestly the the worst thing about Last Jedi, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is that it feels incomplete because of the radical shift. Yeah. From the second to the third movie. Yeah. So everything that I think Ryan Johnson was saying, like, okay, well, maybe there's maybe I've overcrowded this movie in the mm-hmm. service of Disney's, you know action sequence every so often formula that they right, have right. that governs all the Marvel movies. Right. I'm sure it wasn't that different. Yeah. But um, he's like, well, okay, well, maybe I, I have a little too many iron, few too many irons in the fire, but if I get to see this through, yeah. it's going to pay off. Yeah. You know, I I think that that's the generous interpretation. The other interpretation so. is that Ryan Johnson kind of always does that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I. I mean, I think Brick is a perfect masterpiece of a movie. But, oh, that's right, he did Brick. But other than that, that, I think the brothers Bloom and uh, Looper are both mm-hmm. like, oh, really interesting. Like, I, I like where you're going with this. Yeah, and then he's it, very cerebral. Sort of, he. It feels like he, he plants all these amazing seeds, and he doesn't actually quite, finish a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. And I, I, and I think if there's one seed that he did bring to fruition correctly it's Luke's story. Oh yeah. But I know a lot of people but what a lot of people don't like about about Luke's story in this is as we mentioned uh, as aforementioned he, he becomes a little too morally ambiguous a he character. Did, he did a he did a bad thing one yeah, he time. He did a bad thing uh, one time uh, and uh, then oh, he oh, left. oh oh you said Luke did a bad thing. That's how I feel That's, about that. Yeah, okay. So so um, the last the last main wine pairing that because I've I've paired for most of at least the new characters um, in this, but I wanted to talk about Finn in this one since and if I'm sticking with Barbara, I love Finn. I love Finn I did, as a I, character. I just want to go watch a movie. I know. I know. Let's go watch the movie right now. It was funny because we were like, oh man, do we want to watch this movie before recording? Like we don't have a lot of time. Let's let's just wing it. We've seen it so much, but now like talking no. about it, I'm just like, oh, I want to go watch it um his fight with phasma too is oh, yeah. awesome in this one i love but finn's fights are underrated he's so Talk about good storytelling uh, or fighting as storytelling device yeah. it's always him being like well i don't know what i'm doing yep yep <laughs> yeah yep but i might have the force i might have the force a little bit yeah and we're not talking about that yeah again yeah that's <laughs> we another... didn't we didn't need that thank you for taking the overused trope of the magical black man and putting it in the, space. Yes, sure, sure. <laughs> no, well, I don't actually think it's that. I don't bad, know. I don't know if it's that. I don't know I, if it's that. I because I, I, I do think it's it's pretty. It's a it's a sous-son. It's like it's 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 kind of. I see it as how they treat Leia in the in the original, and a little bit in this yeah. one too, which is another thing I want to talk about in a second. But um, but basically, like hinting at that some other people might have abilities yeah. with the force. So that I'm um, cool with, but yeah. I, in the to, again, to try and confine it to this movie. Yeah. They don't really you know, it's not really sort of set up 
that way. I do th- I think it's set up in The Force Awakens a little yeah. bit. Um, I think he can use a lightsaber and he can... Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah he know, does. He, yeah, they, no, they hint at it. You're right. Yeah. And the whole fact that he just kind of has this moment of awakening, yeah. I don't know. To me, that there's a lot of promise in, in yeah. that story and I want to see more of that story. Yeah. But I think one of my favorite things about Finn's character is yes. that in this movie... As in The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and mm-hmm. this is probably because I'm a cis boy, mm-hmm. but um, we are Finn. The viewer, yeah, no, no. The viewer is invited to assume Finn's identity. I think know? that's I think and that's true. So the lessons of the movie, a lot of them are aimed at Finn, up yep. to and including when Rose tackles his, his yeah. speeder junker, which again, the design. Beautiful. Ah, chef's kiss. Gorgeous. Uh, but like, I in, in a way that we are kind of invited to be Luke. Yes. In, in, and so many people relate to Star Wars in that way because you see it when you're like seven or eight, and that's when boys especially are like, I'm learning about Greek mythology for right, the first yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the mythology phase, right? Right. And, and Finn is like, you no, you are an adult, but yeah. you're an adult in like a weird world where things don't yeah. make sense anymore. Well, what's... Whereas Ray is a little bit more... She's a little bit less... It's She feels more like a monk from the beginning. Yeah. Than... Um, yeah, no, I I definitely think that Finn that Finn is the um Finn is the for lack of a better word the everyman right. of I mean he's not he's not really an everyman because he's he's quite exceptional in a lot of ways right but I do agree that especially especially in the first and second movies yeah I mean even we, though he d- he doesn't carry on the whole story of the second movie no but we learn about the world as he does yes you know like, yes. When when Finn is like, holy shit, I gotta get out of here and get off this rebel ship. It's yeah. we've just seen why. You yeah. know? We 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 learn as he learns throughout, I think, the first two films at least. Yes. I think I th- th- at least maybe and, it changes and up in a the little end, I think there's a little bit of that in the third movie. A little bit, but then it very quickly is like, Nope, we gotta just go with Ray. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do I do think that. And so the grape that I was going to pair with Finn um, in, for this movie is Barbera, since I'm, we're sticking with uh, with Italian wines. But I think Barbera is a good one for Finn because in this movie, you know, like you said, Finn basically, I mean, he's a grown man, but he he was raised basically as a machine. Right. And, so and he so didn't get to have a childhood. He didn't get to have a childhood. And so he's kind of learning how to exist in the world right. and like learning his morality as he goes. Yeah. And which gives us a chance to experience it all over again, exactly. even though we are grown now. Exactly. Um, and, and I have a thought about that, but just to relate it to wine, I think that Barbera is one of those grapes that if you're, if you're trying to get into wine, it's like, You'll discover Barbera once you once you dig just a little bit deeper. You know, if you're first drinking wine, you know you'll try the cat, the Cabernet Sauvignon, the Malbec, the Chardonnay, the Sauvignon Blanc, like stuff like that. Once you are like, this is cool, this is interesting, I want to dig a little bit deeper. You'll start finding wines like Barbera and and Dolcetto and like some other like slightly obscure but still pretty pretty widely produced and accessible wines um and so i think barbara is a good one for finn in this one because he's like going that next step now like his this his journey in this uh in this movie in this story he's taking the next step 
into like learning what the world is like. Yeah. And um and so my other thought about that is just what I wanted to mention, and I didn't mention, I don't think we talked about this in the Force Awakens episode, but Finn's character is so, so important right now. The story of his character, I feel like, because it's it's important to to see a character, a, a grown character, a young character, but a grown character say realize that they're wrong and admit that they're wrong. Yeah. And change the way that they're thinking. And that's something that I think yeah. is really important right now. Oh, yeah. He, um, the first thing he does in Force Awakens is reject fascism. Yes. Very important. And he's trying to run away, but wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so, and then in this one, you know, his first instinct when they go to Canto Bite is, this is awesome. This is great. This is really fun. And there's lots of shiny things and colors. And why would you hate this? And then Rose is like, Where do look, you think look all deeper. Money comes from? Yeah. Look deeper. And, uh, or look closer. And then, and that's another lesson for him. And so, um, yeah. I think that's a, that's a really great thing. And I agree. Like, even though he's not in quite as much of this movie as he was in The Force Awakens, or or he doesn't, you know, encompass the whole story, we're still seeing through Finn's eyes. Yeah, I mean, the, the first movie can, I think, pretty safely be called Finn's movie. I think so, too. I mean, like, we're getting, we get Rey, and she's important, right. but... But he's with us the whole time. Yes. And so I think... You know, that also just goes back again to the the So Many Irons thing. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. Empire Strikes Back really successfully does two A-plots at the same time. Yes. Like, they're they're both happening, and we cut back and forth between them, and they're both the main story. Yeah. And this, this I don't think, does as good a job. I think so. I think, because I think that one would consider the Finn and Rose plot a B-plot. Right. More so. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so the so one the one last thing I wanted to mention as I as I thought about before is I just wanted to talk about Leia. Yeah. <sighs> Leia, because we get the moment in this one where she, you right. know, forces her way through yeah. outer space right. back on the vacuum the, of space. Yes. Um, which is incredible, and you know, and that and that's one thing you know that they maybe would have explored a little bit more explicitly in the next movie had she not died. Yeah. However, I don't necessarily need that. I kind of like the ambiguousness of her ability with the Force. Well, because it's ne- it's it's something she's always been able to do, but has never leaned into because right. she chose being a leader instead of being an ascetic. Right. Or a, you know, a lone superhero or whatever. Right. Right. So, and, but I do like that one scene and you, I mean, I just think that's a very like powerful, you know, moment. And I yeah. think that most of the complaints about it are like, I don't know if she should space wizard like that. Right, right. And it's like, okay, all right. <laughs> okay, we get it, <laughs> the, we get the it. Force, the force works in mysterious ways, guys. Yeah. We we get to see Leia, like, you know, show off what she can really do, even though we've kind of been seeing it the whole time. Yeah. She's 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 perfect as as with just that much. Yes. You know? Yes. And I I, she's such a great... Also, don't ever speak ill of Carrie Fisher in my presence. Oh, who? I know it's not. You, it wouldn't be her would? fault even if who you would? didn't like the thing. Who but, would? Yeah. But but um, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't know that I have any other more coherent yeah. thoughts about it. But that I I I kind of like that. I like that we at least got that yeah. moment that was 
fairly explicitly like, nope, she's magic. (laughs) Well, I guess the way I appreciate it is I like that in this trilogy, we get her as the character of the really tired general. Yes. You know, that's like an, like a, almost like a national mythos story of like Mm -hmm. Washington or Cincinnati or Mm -hmm. something. And in that scene, we see her, I think, kind of unconsciously choose to continue to live yeah, because she feels she's needed until the end of uh, Last Jedi when she sort of officially passes the torch. Right. And then, you know, it's just a, a sort of a denouement for her right in the third movie but in that it's yeah. like she is the the only other times we see her she's like sitting down with a cane yeah and, yeah, and then no, she does she... this and it's like yeah no it's very true like it, it's also it's a it's a it's a recognizable trope but it's usually played by a man right and i think that that's yeah it's great to see her do it and it's it's great to see that kind of force thing as a mechanism of like you know, we're not done with you yet. Yeah. Like, I remember, I know Lost is a whole different can of worms that people yeah. have big, I know you've got big feelings about Lost. I do. Well, I have uh, opinions which are correct. Oh, we're going to have to do a Lost episode <laughs> because Winston and I have very different opinions on Lost. Um, but but one thing I did like was the, I want to say it's a, it's the Saeed mm-hmm. thing where the... He, he like doesn't want to live anymore, but the island won't let him die because it's not done with him yet, or something like. That. There's one character. Yeah. Oh, maybe it was Harold Perrineau's character. I think it might be Desmond. I don't know. It's somebody, it's, but I, yeah. I I like yeah. that as a story too. It's like we're, you know, you may be done, but we're not done with you. Yeah. And the burden that that puts on yeah. somebody who's really you know endured all the tragedy a person can be expected to endure. Yeah. And is done, but like kind of has to keep going yeah. for a little bit. I think that's very poignant and very touching. And I think Carrie Fisher fucking nails it. I think so too. Um, well, on that note. Yeah, I think that's a pretty nice note to end on. Um, rest in power, Carrie rest Fisher. Rest in power, Carrie Fisher. I think we can all agree that whether you like this movie or not, I mean, unless you don't like it because you're a sexist racist and you don't like kelly marie tran in that case you can go straight to hell um but if you if you if you're critical of this movie and it didn't sit well with you for the reasons that we discussed i i look forward to further discussions because i think it is the most interesting of the star wars movies i think that that can be said yeah without without too much backlash and in the following essay i will (laughs) (laughs) but yeah well, Winston, let's Cheers, go watch. Let's go watch Last Jedi. All right. <laughs> Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw, and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Sherjarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, 
live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.